Let's pray. Gracious God, now that we have heard your word read, may we respond to it, empowered by the Holy Spirit, strengthened by the strength of our Savior, for the glory of your name. May we see Jesus and him only. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, I had a friend named Charlie, and I'm, I'm giving him a fictitious name as to protect him in case he happens to listen to this uh, on the internet or anything. But Charlie was a, a well-known worrier. Um, I remember running into Charlie one time, and he looked very consternated and worried on his face. And I said, Charlie, what, what's bugging you, man? He said, you know what I'm really worried about? And I said, no, I mean, what, what's going on? He said, I'm worried that I'm not worried. Some weeks had passed after that encounter with Charlie, and I ran into him again, and he looked, he looked so placid and peaceful and calm. And I said, Charlie, what's up? You look so, you look so happy and, and peaceful. He said, well, I, I found the secret to being uh, at peace. I said, what's that? He said, well, I've got a guy that I hired. I pay him $2,000 a week to worry for me. And I said, Charlie, I, I know what you do for a living, and I know you don't have $2,000 a week to pay somebody. And Charlie said, well, that's his worry. <laughs> I don't know of a attribute or a status that we look for more in life than peace. We focus this morning on blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. It's a, it's a status that we look for in so many different places. We look for it in our, in our work. We look for peace and money. We look for peace and relationships. We look for peace and search for it in our education. We look for all the places that might just give us a place of personal comfort and personal security that we could at some place go, ah. Everything's okay. And yet, we don't seem to ever find it. In fact, I know of no other time in my life where I've seen culture at such a place that it lacks peace. That everyone I know, almost to the person, has some turmoil that's going inside of them some place of discomfort, something that is keeping them awake at night, something at three in the morning that wakes them up, that captures them. And the moment that it does capture them, the question for us is, where do we turn to find peace? Do we turn to our own resources? Do we think, somehow I can figure this situation out? Somehow I can bring relief to myself? Or maybe there's someone else. Maybe it's my boss. Maybe if I can just manipulate my boss strongly enough and, and in, a, in a sneaky kind of way, maybe he will come through for me and give me peace. Or possibly it's even a spouse. Possibly if I look to my spouse and say, will you be my peace? But the cycle continues, doesn't it? Over and over again where we still try to find some place that we can have peace. The Hebrews in the Old Testament called this word shalom. 
It's a word that we look at and we, of course, we think of it as peace. In other words, I hope you're happy. I hope you're content. I hope you, I hope you don't have any conflict going on in your life right now. Shalom to you. But in the Hebrew, it's a much deeper word. It has a much more broad meaning, a much more profound meaning. And what it means is, I hope that your entire life is congruous. I hope that your entire life makes sense. I hope that your entire life is a sigh of rest. I give you shalom. And this is where Jesus' mindset as a, as a Jewish carpenter is coming from out of the culture that God chose to reveal himself in that he is the perfect shalom. That the thing that Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, is blessed are those who make shalom. The Greek word is a Greek word, irene, which means actually a three corded rope that comes together and supports itself, that it has great strength, it has an integrity, it has a a way of not being broken. There is a strength to peace. And of course, Matthew here in the Greek is relaying that as well, that not only is shalom congruous, that our entire life has a sense of rest about it, our entire life has a sense of meaning, and our entire life has an aura around it that says, I'm at peace, everything is okay, but it also is a peace that's not easily shaken, it's not broken. But where can we find that peace? Well, in John 14, Jesus says this, My peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, but as I give to you. Jesus frankly says that if you're looking for peace, if you're looking what it means to have peace made within you and to become a peacemaker, you must look to him, the real and the perfect son of God, the real peacemaker. That Jesus came to make peace between you and I and God. And in doing so, he revealed himself as the true, only begotten Son of God. And so, frankly, when Jesus says to you and I, not only are blessed are the peacemakers, fortunate are the peacemakers, blessed beyond belief are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you're like me, because you will look like me, the Son of God. And so instead of, and in light of, looking to the world, you and I are to turn away from the world. You and I are to turn away from searching for peace in places that can never offer us peace. It's the most incredible thing for us as Christians to look to money to say, money can be my peace. It's antithetical to to who we are. It's antithetical when we say we follow Christ, we're disciples of Christ, but give me the ways of the world to find my peace. When we look at the headlines in the newspaper, when we look at what's on the newscast, we turn to our politicians thinking somehow the politicians will bring, bring peace. Well, I'm looking at at least 5,000 years of recorded history, and I've yet to see the politicians come through yet to bring us peace. I've yet to see money bring peace. Look at Solomon as he writes Ecclesiastes. 
Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. The wealthiest that ever lived. The wisest in terms of the world's terms that ever lived. What does he come to the end of his life to say? That peace can't be found in this world. Peace can't be found in the things of this world. Peace cannot be found in that which is perishing away. And yet, like moths attract to light, we continue to look to the world. And Jesus exhorts us this morning in this beatitude and says, If you will turn and be blessed by being peacemakers, you will look like the Son of God. You see, these Beatitudes, as we said just a few weeks ago, they're not suggestions, they're not hopeful things, but they are things that Jesus is saying, exhortations that Jesus is giving, blessings that Jesus is giving to you and to I, not to just let go in one ear and out the other, but defining the characteristics of what the followers of Christ look like. And this morning it's incumbent upon us to hear these words, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, that we might respond in repentance of being such a peacemaker as Jesus. When Jesus says to look unto him, to how he behaves, how he operated, how he looked at the world, what did he do? He is your example and my example of how we are to live our lives. Being the sons of God for you and I, obviously we're not the only begotten sons and daughters of God, but we are the inherent sons and daughters of God in the fact that you and I are made in His image. That you and I have a responsibility and a response as those who are made in the image of God to bear that image out in the world. That it doesn't come as an option. It doesn't come as a gift. It doesn't come as something that we strive for. But it becomes inherently our character, our nature, that we are to be peacemakers because we are made in the image of the great peacemaker. Not only is it inherent, but it's also inherited. That there's a blessing in being that way. There's a blessing in looking like Jesus as we walk in this world because we will also be joint heirs in the inheritance that is Jesus's. That as you and I walk living, we are stating, we believe in something that's much bigger than this world, something that's eternal, someone who has a kingdom that's larger than the kingdoms of this world, a kingdom that is more permanent, a kingdom more eternal, a kingdom more glorious than anything we've experienced in the flesh or on this globe as of yet. But the one that John and Peter and James had a glimpse of in the transfiguration, that the glorified Christ who will reign and rule over all the prophets, over all political powers, is the one who has revealed himself as the true King of kings who gives us peace within his kingdom. The kingdom of all eternity. So both being sons and daughters of God is not only something we're responsible to respond to because it's inherently ours as a reflection of Christ but it's also ours to receive continually for all of eternity. Let's look at Jesus, the example. Keep your finger, or you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. In your pew Bible, it's on page uh, 976. Here's the example of Jesus, and you can look it up later if you can't grab it real quick. 
Jesus says, or Paul says this about Jesus. says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, you people of the world, were called the uncircumcised by why it's called the circumcision. In other words, those who were the followers of God in the Old Testament, the Hebrews of the Old Testament, used to call you these bad people. You were people of the flesh. And remember, here it is in verse 12, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. You see, the first thing that Jesus does is Jesus comes into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through the sacrifice of his own blood for you and I. Well, certainly that gives us an example to begin to live by. Paul in Romans chapter 12 would say this, that you and I in the light of God's mercy are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Not a dying sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. And how do we live as true sacrifices except by sacrificing our own agendas so that we may minister to others? Let me ask you a question. Is your life all about you? Is your agenda all about you? Is what keeps you awake at night all about you and what you want? Does our life, though, ever become consumed about Jesus and what He wants? Maybe even what He might want for our lives that may be contrary to what we want for our lives. Are we willing to live palms up and heads down to say, Jesus, whatever you want, lead me on, lead me on. Because I know, Jesus, wherever you take me, whatever you do with me will be for your glory and for my good. And so I sacrifice my agenda. I sacrifice my dreams. I sacrifice my personal comfort to say, Jesus, lead on, lead on. You are my peace. Jesus, I can't find peace in the world. Jesus, I can't find peace in my money. Jesus, I can't find peace in my career. Jesus, I can't find peace in my marriage. Jesus, I can't find peace as being a parent. Jesus, I can't find peace anywhere except in you. Lead on, Savior. Lead on. And isn't that what he calls us to do as he has made peace with us by his own blood that we as a reflection of him should also be peacemakers with one another? Because you see, when I live that way, when I live like Jesus, when I say, Jesus, lead on, lead on, I'm able to come to you and say, I want to make peace with you. Because it's no longer my agenda for you to be on my agenda. But it's incumbent upon me to help you and I to be on his agenda. What more like the son could we look like when we come to one another and say, how can I help you? How can I minister to you? How can I have my own life's agenda help you with your life agenda? You see, that's the first example of Jesus, that he came to sacrifice himself. He came not to do the will of himself, he said, but to do the will of the Father. And we certainly see it there in the Garden of Gethsemane, don't we? 
Lord, if there's any way for this cup to pass, if there's any way for this pain, this, this wrath that's about to be poured out on me, if there's any way for that to pass, can that cup please pass? And yet he comes to the ultimate conclusion, not my will, but your will be done, Father. What a more glorious thing that we could see as an example of how we're to live than our Lord and our Savior, the second person of the Trinity, submitting himself even unto the Father to say, Father, glorify yourself in the way that I'm humbled. Show the world graciousness. Show the world mercy. Show the world your glory in the way that I'm humbled upon this cross. In Philippians, Paul says he was humbled even unto death on a cross. He didn't seek equality with God as something to be gained, but he humbled himself. You see, when you and I are at, not at peace by looking to other places in the world trying to find peace, we look to seek equality with God. We say to ourselves, Lord, I want to be my own sovereign. I want to take care of my own problems. I feel I'm better at seeing the future than you are, God. There's nothing more insulting to the omnipotence of God than for us to play amateur sovereigns and say, I can see the future better than God. Instead of resting in what our Father has for us. When Jesus says to you and I, a good father doesn't give a snake when asked for for bread, doesn't give a rock, but gives true bread. How much more beneficial can bread be than the bread of heaven? You see, God has offered you and I something much better than that's what's temporary, but has offered you and I peace that's eternal in the bread of life of Jesus. says, for he himself in 14 is our peace who made us both one, breaking down the law of the flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Jesus there is clearly saying that he is our peace, that he has fully met all of the requirements and is that we rely upon him that in Him we are pleasing to the Father. He came to make peace between you and I and the Father. That we would no longer be in a hostile relationship with God, but that we would be in a peaceful relationship with God. It was His whole purpose for coming. His whole purpose was coming was to make you at peace with the Father. What could be more shalom than that? That to know before the throne of heaven, because of the blood of Jesus and because of the work of Jesus, you are at peace with God. And then once again, as one who reflects, knowing that they're at peace in God, how can we then be those who stir up dissension among others? How antithetical it would be for a son or a daughter of God to be the divider in truth instead of the uniter of truth. 
As we think about that, we think about our own lives, our own spirits, our own souls. How often have we come in seeking unity instead of disunity? How often have we said, better to lift up Christ than to lift up my own agenda? Better to see Him as the sovereign God who has come that His body might be full and completely in unity, trusting in His work, trusting in His power, trusting in His, in His sight, instead of our own power, our own insights. Verse 16 says that He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What could be more opposite for a follower of a Christ than to be hostile towards one another? You see, Jesus' exhortation here is not just that we seek our own way, but that we look at ways that we might be unified one to another. That once again, it's very antithetical for us as followers of Christ to be hostile one to another. Doesn't mean that we don't disagree on things. It doesn't mean that we don't have differences of opinions. But it does mean that we seek in those differences to be unified in our hearts and souls towards one another. For me to behave a different way would be similar to the woman caught in adultery picking up the stones that were dropped when Jesus confronted the Pharisees and throwing them at their back. that kind of grace amnesia, that kind of amnesia of what Christ has done for me would choose me not to be a, would, would force me to be a peacemaker and not a war maker. Why? Because our second point this morning that Jesus is sovereign. For through Him we both have access to one Spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and members of the household of God. You see what Jesus is saying, or what Paul is saying about Jesus is this, that He's the sovereign God over this body. Do you really believe that God, Jesus is God and that Jesus is sovereign? Then if so, your life and my life reflects that truth. I find most of the places where I struggle personally or most of the places where I might have that worry in the middle of the night is when I forget that God is sovereign over my life. When I forget to truly believe that I have a God whose arm is not too short. When I have a God who is not seeking my best interest. When I have a God who doesn't know as much as I know. Then I worry. But when I remember, when I repent, when I recall, God is the sovereign God. There's not a molecule in the universe that's out of His control. That He's working all things together, as Paul would say in Romans 8, for our good, so that what? We may be conformed to the image of the Son. You see, the sovereign Christ is at work in your life if you follow Him and in my life if I follow Him to look like Him. The true peacemaker, the real peacemaker, God Himself, the true Son of God who came to make peace as a sovereign God with you and I and with the Father. But that peace doesn't happen in a vacuum. It also works out in the community of the household of God. 
that the sovereign God commands you and I to be at peace with one another. I'd like for it to be optional. Would you? Wouldn't you just like to give it to that one you'd like to give it to? If you could just express your inner thoughts towards that one person, what would you say? But Jesus says, drop your rocks. Because that's not who you are. You're a follower of Him. And then thirdly, we are the responders. We're built on a foundation, it says in Ephesians, of the apostles and the prophets of Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. What is our response? We are to be growing into a holy temple. That the whole household of God may look like a whole group of sons and daughters of God making peace and telling the world how to have peace. But if the church is busy making war upon itself, how can the world see peace? If the church is filled with the chaos of every man and woman doing what's right in their own eyes, how can the world see unity? If the church is busy seeking its own sovereign way, how can the world ever see a God worthy of trust? We are, it's incumbent upon you and I to hear the words of Jesus And as James encourages us to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. We're very good at figuring out how to make lists and how to do things that look a certain way. So were the Pharisees. Jesus is talking something much different and much more expansive than just the external But he's talking about a transformed heart. A new heart that is born again in him. A new heart that has full confidence it is at peace with the Father by the blood of Christ. A new heart that is unified with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. A new heart that reflects the Son of God as sons and daughters. You see, the truth is this. That through the power of the cross and the work of Jesus upon the cross, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, it is truly finished. And the finished work of Christ was to transform you and I from people of the flesh, from sons and daughters of Adam and Cain, into spiritual children of the living God that we might truly be adopted by God as His sons and His daughters. And because of that, we are blessed because we are the givers of shalom. We are the receivers of all that is perfect within God to be able to give out shalom to those 
who are around us, both near and far, that they may know the peace of God. Most blessed are the peacemakers, for they truly are the sons and the daughters of God. How do we respond? Understand this, that God's kingdom is greater than your kingdom. Understand that God's kingdom is greater than your kingdom. Live a life with the priority of God's sovereign reign over the universe, all that is seen and unseen, and live in that perspective other than your small kingdom. We must repent and see a much larger picture, a much broader picture than the picture that we have in our own minds where we are a legend. That will come to you in just a minute. But we must live in submission that even though I can't always see where God is going, although I can't always see what God is doing, although I may have questions about where God is taking me to, the truth of the matter is He's the sovereign and good King that will take me exactly where He wants me. That will do exactly what He thinks is best to do. And you know what? He's doing that with everyone else who is His. Remember you're adopted. Remember the purpose of Christ's coming was to make you His. It wasn't just to make you good, which is great. He did. But don't miss the bigger picture. He came to make you His. Remember in those times when you feel like an orphan and operating like an orphan, that it's all up to you, that, it's, that you're the one that has to make it happen, that you're the one that has to provide. And if you don't do it for yourself, who's going to do it? If you don't look out for number one, who will? It's in those times and those places that we must turn and change our way of thinking to remember, I'm His child. He will provide for me. He will protect me. He will take care of me. He will do what's right. How can I have assurance in that? How can I have faith in that? Because Jesus made peace between He and I. And He's no longer hostile towards me. But He loves me in the same way that He loves Jesus, His Son. And then thirdly, begin to develop a childlike character. What's that mean? When I was a boy and my dad would take me along the beach, he would leave footprints and I would try to take my foot and put it in his footprint. When I was real young, it was a stretch. I mean, I had to almost leap to get my footprint into his footprint. And yes, his footprint was much bigger than mine at the time. But as the years went by and I tried harder and harder to match my footprint into his footprint. Soon you couldn't tell one from the other. The point of that is this. Follow where Jesus is leading. Follow with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength to where Jesus is leading. Where is he leading? You already know. Look at these Beatitudes. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. You'd know where He's leading. 
You remember the disciples asking that very question. Where are you going? And he told them, you know where I'm going. I'm going to reign over the universe. And I am the way and the truth and life. Look for his footprints in the scriptures. Look for his footprints in the actions and the way that he treated others. Look at where his life went. And then follow him. And you will begin to take on the child's character. And truly be the sons and the daughters of the living God. Let's pray.